Hello, everyone. Welcome to Word on Coaching. I'm Joanne, and here with me are my two compadres, Debbie and Kevin. Hello. Hello, everybody. So we're three friends that have years of leadership and coaching experience, and we wanted to share our passion with others. So this is why we're doing what we're doing. Our podcasts are for leaders, whether you have a former title or not, but we know there's a lot of leading going on out there without titles. And what we do when we get together is focus on one word, and that word that usually relates to leadership and coaching. The reason we pick this is because we know that leadership is hard, and it gets harder by the day sometimes, it feels like. So we're here, along with our guests, to give you tips, information, and hopefully a fresh perspective in some instances, but always with support. And because we want you to know that you do have support out here. So today, we're really excited to have a former colleague, a friend of us all, Tim Smith. And a little bit about Tim. Gosh, Tim, I guess 15 years at minimum has, uh, we've known, I don't know how you're getting so much older and I'm not, but um, it, we have been friends and colleagues for, for a while. And one of the things, Tim and I talk a lot about personality assessments. And Tim and I always talk about we're on two ends of a spectrum. And we laugh about being friends because we see the world entirely different most of the time. I respect and admire Tim. He's a great coach. And we're just excited that you're here tonight, Tim. So, you know, tell us a little bit. Tell our audience a little bit about yourself and we'll jump in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so first, it is really good to be, to be here. I'm happy to see all of you again. A little about me. I guess I've been kind of coaching full-time for about four years. <clears throat> Excited to share that I just got my PCC in November of last year, which feels like an accomplishment. And I, I think maybe a new fun thing. I really have been discovering, I think finally discovering my niche with coaching and working as cool niche with very analytical thinkers. So a lot of engineers, attorneys, people that work in finance and accounting, many of them in leadership roles. And I'm really getting the opportunity to help them in some areas where they could use some help, particularly around building their EQ, improving their communication skills, and then definitely managing some of the overthinking that can come with people that are really good at thinking. And I, I like it. It really kind of fans my fire because it's letting me bring a lot of my favorite topics together. And that's, you know, emotional intelligence and coaching and analytical thinking and leadership. So it's been a really cool little niche for me to discover and refine. Yeah. So that's the word we pick, right? was emotional intelligence. I guess the obvious question is, and we know there's a lot of buzz out there. It's not like it's a new thing, but it's, it's kind of like we come back around and it's really a lot of buzz and a, a lot of trending out there talking about EQ. So why do you think it is now such an important topic? Why do you hear so much about it right now? And especially in relationship to leadership. Oh, that's a, a good question. I think it's always been important. I think it's been gaining 
popularity since probably since the late 90s. But I think more and more important is we're seeing millennials take up bigger and bigger space in the workforce and now Gen Z moving in. Their expectations of how they are going to be treated in the workplace are very different than like me as a Gen Xer or baby boomers before me. <clears throat> and so that relationship piece really becomes a lot more important. And EQ, your emotional intelligence is really probably the biggest single driver of your ability to have good working relationships. So I think that's probably what it is. It's more important because our workforce, our, our workforce expects different from us as leaders now. I think that's really interesting that you brought that up, Tim. I just saw an article the other day. You know, we keep hearing the phrase quiet quitting. That's the, the new one, right? The new buzz phrase. And it was actually talking about these younger generations. It's not that they're quiet quitting. It's that they want more connectedness, more relationships, which is the whole EQ piece. And I think sometimes people assume they don't want it. And so that I think, you know, I hear a lot of leaders struggle with, what do I do with my Gen Xers and my Gen Zers and all that? And so I... All leaders out there, listen up, because Tim's going to tell you what you need to do <laughs> to help build connect <laughs> with those, those employees. Yeah, I was thinking about that also. I've been listening and reading, and I heard an article about work from home, and some of the people were responding, well, if I go into the office, why am I going to the office? I want to connect with people when I come into the office. I just don't want to sit at my desk and work on my same spreadsheet. So when I come to the office, what am I going to do? So when we think about emotional intelligence, it's becoming, you know, even more important because the expectation of leaders and people being more emotionally intelligent to make those connections, I think is increasing. So Tim, as we talk about this, maybe there could be somebody out there that's really not sure what we mean when we say emotional intelligence. So what is emotional intelligence? And can you just give us a summary or a definition of what emotional intelligence is? I can. Kevin, good, good question, really. It, it's, I, there's a lot of differing opinion. I think it's a very nuanced, but I think how technical. For me, I think it really kind of comes down to, it, it's about accessing emotional information and then working with that emotional information to be more effective. And the way I like to really think about it, it's not really a definition, but a visual. So if you imagine a four box model with the columns on the left side, there's self and on the right side, there's other, and then you've got the rows, the top row is around awareness and the bottom row is around management. So if you overlay those rows and columns, you get, you know, upper left self-awareness upper right, you've got social awareness or empathy. On the lower row or the lower boxes, you've got lower left self-management. So can I keep my composure? Can I keep my optimism? Can I keep my motivation? And then you kind of pull all of those together in that lower right corner with relationship management or social management. And that's where leadership really comes in. That's where we're talking about influence. You're talking about inspiration. You're talking about uh, teamwork. You're talking about conflict management. In my head, it's always that four box model. That's very helpful to, to think about that because I know at different times I had conversations with people about emotional intelligence and it's like, this is the influence strategy. I mean, you have to be able to 
manage yourself if you're going to influence others in a positive way. So thanks. Thanks for sharing that. That's good distinction. I like that visual. It'll be easy to remember, right? So I think we can learn a lot, Tim, from people's journeys and experiences, their stories. So tell us a little bit about your story with you, Tim. What was your biggest discovery on your journey to learning more about emotional intelligence? Again, Joanna, you said 15 years ago, a minute ago, it was actually 19 years. And yeah. one of my big first big peaks into my lack of emotional intelligence was going through a leadership development program that Joanna and Debbie were both involved in as facilitators and coaches. And part of that program, we did a 360. It was the first time I had ever been involved in a 360 assessment. And some of the feedback I got was really pointed, let's say, a very eye-opening. And I think for me, the, the big takeaway there was the difference between intent and impact. And it's something that I've carried with me for a long time. There were oftentimes I thought I was being funny. I thought I was being efficient in a conversation. And a lot of people were experiencing me as not funny, but cynical, sarcastic, and not being efficient in a conversation, being blunt or being direct. And I think that was a huge, that, that kind of set me off on this path of like, oh, wow, I, I, maybe I don't know myself as well as I thought I did. And I would say like the ongoing journey from that was to learn to understand the difference between being introspective and being self-aware because they're not the same thing. I think I've always been very introspective, I was an introspective child. I think that might come with introversion, but introspection and self-awareness, they're not always, they don't always equal each other. So I think learning that how I understand myself is just one piece of that puzzle, one, one facet of it, and to keep looking and expanding, you know, what does self-awareness mean? It's, it's really, it's a journey. It's not a destination. Totally agree. I totally agree. And thanks for that correction on the 19 years. That was that's our relationship. He knows the stats. I'm good at guessing. He knows the stats. You know, Kim, when you were talking, and I love that story, you know, I wish more of our leaders would have those aha moments, right? Go in, they go like, yeah. They look at their 360 and they don't make that connection. I do think it begs to ask this question. What, what do you see as the connection between coaching and EQ? And, and it, does it mean that a leader who has the high EQ will also be a really good coach? So can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. You know, that makes me think of, it, it makes me think of something I learned in math, like a thousand years ago, you know, the, the square is a rhombus, but a rhombus isn't necessarily a square. So with that meaning, I think does high EQ, does a high EQ leader equal a good coach? No, I don't think implicitly, but I think it's really hard to be a good coaching leader without high EQ. So I think there, you know what I mean? Like the, the coaching is a different skill set, but your coaching skills and your skill as a coaching leader is going to be far more effective 
with high EQ than it would be without. You got us thinking tonight, Tim. You got us. This show's got us thinking deeply about these things. It's, yeah, I, I, I felt geometry you. though, so I don't <laughs> know. <laughs> no, I like I like the comparison. Yeah, I was thinking as we're as we're having this conversation about EQ and coaching and different things is how do we integrate EQ into our coaching? How do we do that? That's a, that is a thoughtful question. You know, there's part of me that just believes that that happens. You know, I, I, at least, all right, first of all, let me say this. I, it's, I don't feel like I've mastered emotional intelligence on my own. So I don't want to talk like I have. What I will say is that as I have worked diligently to develop my emotional intelligence, it's made me better at anything I do with other people including coaching. So while I, I say what I kind of what I said a minute ago, coaching is a different skill set than leading. It's a different skill set than, than, than maybe having high EQ or knowing how to use high EQ. But if you work on your emotional intelligence, the self-awareness, the, the empathy that you grow from that, just, it just naturally ekes into your coaching and it changes how you connect with people. It changes how, you know, back to those ideas of influence and inspiration, it changes how you interact with people. And that's where I think it, that the big connection is. So maybe it's not like, uh, if I do this, then this happens, but more like on the journey of developing your own EQ, you become better at this other place where you connect with people. Yeah. When you were saying that, Tim, I just thought about what you were saying about emotional intelligence, intelligence, making you better at other aspects and in your relationships. And I was thinking EQ is maybe it's kind of like salt when used appropriately, it makes everything better. Well, it's knowing how to use it. I like that. I, and, and very much agree. It is like salt. And I can see with emotional intelligence, like if you're, if you're self-aware as a leader, like if you know, you're one of those leaders that is not good at silence or, you know, doesn't like to ask, would rather tell than ask questions, or maybe you, you know, you're aware of your biases because we all have them and manage those or your empathy piece. Like, Hey, I'm going to go into this conversation with the intention of trying to understand the other person instead of drilling home you know, my point of view. So I, I see a lot of correlations. Like you said, that if I am high in EQ, it will make me a better cook because I'll bring that into that, that skill set and who I am. And I can remember when we first started training to become coaches, I was a little taken aback because the beginning of it, they, we were doing so much work on ourselves. And I'm like, hold on, hold on. Like, I thought this coaching stuff was about doing stuff to other people, right? Why are we working so, how, spending so much time on ourselves here? And I think that's the other EQ piece, right? It's part of it is about managing yourself and, you know, the, the work that you do on who you are and how you show up. And then the other piece is how you use that to connect and understand and support other people. I see a lot of correlations. Like you said, they're two different things, but there there's definitely those correlations between them. Yeah. Similarly, I, the coaching program that I went through where I really did, you know, most of my learning was, was very focused on us. And I had that same reaction. I'm like, you know, learning all this stuff about myself. I already know all this stuff, which I mean, I didn't, but I thought I did. And 
yeah, to understand that connection has been very empowering. I think that leads into to my next question for you, Tim, is I feel like EQ is one of those things, like you mentioned, that someone is always working on, right? I don't, I don't know if you ever hit the peak where you're like, I've done it. I'm the most emotionally intelligent I'm ever going to be, right? And so I feel like it's, it's always a work in, in progress. I know I work on it. I'm sure a lot of our audience is still working on it. So what are two or three suggestions or tips, thing, things that you would recommend to our audience that might help them to keep working on their emotional intelligence? So I'm probably surprised Joanne by leaving out personality or per personality type out of that. I, I think that's important, but I would not put it at the top two or three. I think values, identifying your personal values, like getting really clear on what's important to you, what really drives you, what motivates you, how you want to show up in the world. I think that's really fundamental to, to understanding yourself and thus to good EQ. I think another one that, that it's easy to fall short of is our emotional vocabulary, like really learning words, the nuances of, uh, of, of our feelings, of our emotions. And, and I'll, I'll pull out a little Brene Brown here, but I am a huge fan, Atlas of the Heart. She talks about we're okay at identifying mad, sad, and glad. And we're really bad at anything beyond that. We're just okay with those three. So my two favorite resources for that is the, the Gottman Feeling Wheel, which you can Google and find great. It's a great resource. And then Atlas of the Heart itself. I mean, it is, it is a book I am never shy about recommending to anybody who needs to understand more about emotional, emotional information. I think that, and third thing, and this is the biggest and the most impactful and the hardest to do, find your loving critics, you know, find the people who really care about you and are willing to tell you the truth. I know at least one of those that is on this call with me. I think those are, those are good ways. Yeah, it really comes down to getting feedback, understanding your values and improving your emotional vocabulary. Right. Can I ask a, a follow-up question? Because you had mentioned earlier that like, with your niche of coaching, that type of one of the type of leaders that you really sounds like enjoy working with are the more logical leaders, right? The analytical leader, like you said, attorneys and engineers, people like that. And I would think if you mentioned the word like emotions, feelings, emotional nuance, your emotional vocabulary, that they would be like, like you're right, just like zone over. Like, what are we talking about? How do you talk about emotional intelligence? Is, do you use different language? Do you just be very transparent and put it out there? So when you've got someone who's an employee who's really logical and really analytical, how do you broach these topics with them and not get them to shut down? So yeah, analytical, logical, rational. Those are those are the people that I'm working with a lot. To answer the questions, sometimes it's very strategically. It's, it's not in the first session. It's not in the first two sessions. It's building rapport and trust with a client and then exploring that topic with them. I have found most of, most of the people I've worked with, you know, in the last couple of years are comfortable with the idea of emotional intelligence, the phrase emotional intelligence. We start peeling that onion and we get into that emotional vocabulary piece. Yeah, it is a little more discomfort. So 
I think for me, what has worked best is build the relationship I have with a client before we kind of dive into that really uncomfortable. Yeah, if you know, if you think about what we do is is a combination of our thoughts and our feelings and our actions. A lot of the people that I'm working with are very oriented to the thinking piece, followed closely by the doing piece and feelings and emotions are far distant. So you kind of have to play a long game in those coaching relationships. That's great advice for a leader, right? Like, like you, it's what you started with, build that relationship, build that tr- that foundation, and then you can have these harder, maybe more uncomfortable conversations. Yes. <laughs> Tim, I was reading this article on this rather large study that was done on emotional intelligence and has and how as leaders, you know, as we grow up that rank or that corporate ladder or, or move from, you know, first line all the way to even CEO, that what they noticed in this study was that a lot of the leaders, as they climb up the, the, the ladder, is that they lose empathy. And I, that was startling to me. So my question to you is, one, is how do they maybe recognize that they're losing empathy and what suggestions would you make to the, their leaders as they grow to hold on to that or grow that empathy? It kind of saddens me to hear that. And I can kind of see it, you know, as you, as you get farther away from the people, like the, the, the people that do the work, your perspective on the organization changes. And I'm sure it becomes more and more about results. As far as keeping a connection, you know, I think it's important to remember that the work happens at the, maybe at the bottom of the organization. I don't like the way that sounds, but I think you know what I mean. You know, it's, it's a, the work happens where the people are, and I'm not sure what to say as far as how to notice that your empathy might be slipping, but I would think the cure-all would be to spend time with your people. I mean, even if it is a big organization having the VP walk through a functional area twice a month. You know, it's something it's, it's it, it get, get a feel for what they're experiencing, have, have an understanding, like, you know, hear them talking, hear them and you don't, you don't have to spend lots of time, but just get snippets, be seen, be experienced. I think that would, I would like to think that would help. Yeah. Uh, thanks for that. Well, we, I could talk a lot more about that, but I want to be respectful of time. We always ask our guests a few questions. We promise they're not that hard. So the the first question that I want to ask you is, what is a book that you think a leader coach should read? Well, you so you all got some good questions for me tonight. You know, the, the first book that comes to mind is Three Vital Questions by, I think, David Emerald. And I think it's a neat way of looking at coaching in the business setting. But it's also a really cool spin on the Cartman drama triangle or the, the, the DDT, the dreaded drama triangle, which is, you know, this model of, of how we interact with people in relationship that we're in relationships with. And yeah, I just think it's, it's, it's written as a fable, but it's got a lot of information in it. And it's, it's been a book I've gone back to lots of times. Very cool. We'll, we'll add that in the notes so people can grab that title if they need it. 
So Tim, what's the question that someone's asked you? So you've been on the other end of coaching, right? So what's a question that really gave you pause or allowed you to think a little deeper? So I will share this. I've been working with an awesome coach named S.B. Ross out of Roanoke, Virginia, and she is really good at helping me see my assumptions. And usually with something like, man, I feel like I hear some assumptions in there. So I don't even know that it's really a question. It's more just like this big check. You know, I'm sharing what my experience is or I'm talking about it. And she is, um, you know, respectful enough, caring enough to point out to me where I'm letting assumption play in. I'm letting my narrative, you know, I'm letting my storyline play into how I'm experiencing or how I'm acting or what I'm thinking about. That's great. And I, I love the reminder. It doesn't have to be a question, right? It could be an observation or a statement. I love that. So besides EQ, what we talked about tonight, Tim, what is your word on coaching? Ooh, my word on coaching, uncomfortable. Yeah, get uncomfortable. If you're comfortable, you're probably not growing, especially if you're a leader and you're getting your feet wet with coaching. Take the risk, get uncomfortable, try it. You know, chances are really strong that you are not going to do anything horrible. Okay? You might ask a question that doesn't land or make an observation that somebody disagrees with, but get uncomfortable and take that chance. So Brene Brown, courage over comfort, right? Yeah. That's her yeah. big quote. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Tim. We really appreciate you spending time with us tonight and sharing your experiences and your your insights, just you know, from your own journey, but also your experience working with other leaders. I'm sure our audience has written down a lot of stuff that they can take away. And Joanne and Kevin, as always, it's always a pleasure to have you guys on our podcast as well. And thank you to our audience for listening. We so appreciate you all and that you keep following us and, and listening to the podcast. There are more podcasts to check out. We're in season six. So if you missed some of the earlier seasons, Tim was on an earlier season, go out and, and check some of those out. We're going to have some more coming to you in season six. We have a Coaches 3 Facebook page if you'd like to connect with us there. And also, we love to mention our book with the same name as our podcast, The Word on Coaching. And we've been hearing lots of people saying, hey, I'm buying a copy of the book and I'm buying it for my, my mentee or my team or you know, the group that I work with or my child. So buy a copy for yourself and buy a copy for someone else. As always, we appreciate you guys. And until next time, that's The Word on Coaching. <laughs>